He took our sin-dead lives, Paul says, and made us alive in Christ. God comes to us in Jesus, our Emmanuel, and he's glad to be with us even in our sin and our brokenness, even in our stubbornness, even in our inflexibility, in our compulsions. Quite frankly, Jesus is glad to be with us in the ways that we annoy people, right? Those of you who know me best in this room can name four ways that I'm super annoying. <laughs> right? And you love me anyway. Do you notice it's the staff and the elders that laughed loudest, by the way? Okay. Um, God is glad to be with me even in the things that I do that are annoying. Why does Jesus embrace that? Why does Jesus embrace our sin and death? Why does he tolerate the very worst of what humanity has to offer? Spit, spit on, beaten, crown of thorns, crucified. Why does he do that? This is what the author of Hebrews says. Are you ready? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. It's not, it made Jesus happy, so that's why he did it. That's not joy. It's with this idea of, I get to be with these people forever. It's because I'm glad to be with them that I will endure the cross. God's desire is to be with us forever. We just sang about that, right? Is the glory of the Lord to be forever, the light within our midst? Is our God, in, is our God going to come and dwell again with us? He is. God's desire is to be with us forever. So he is glad to be with us now in the midst of our sin and failure. He's glad, to be in, he's glad to be with us in the midst of a world gone wrong. He's so glad to be with the very worst parts of us that he takes that thing upon himself so that we don't have to deal with it anymore. Right? He forgives us and, and he sets us free. Jesus is our Emmanuel. He wants to be with us forever. That's why he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? This is what Jesus wants. Do you know what Jesus wants? He says this, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. He just wants to be with us. Heaven, heaven will be where our gladness to be with God is unrestrained by sin and failure where our gladness to be with one another is unrestrained by their annoying thing and my annoying thing and the way I've stepped on your toes, and where we all get to be glad to be together and with God forever. That's heaven. It'll be a place of remarkable joy. But even still, he's glad to be with us in the midst of the hard. He's glad to be with us in the midst of the difficult. He's glad to be with us in the midst of sin and failure, in the midst of a world gone wrong, in the midst of a world that is at war with the princes and powers of the air. Jesus, our Emmanuel, is glad to be with us even when we don't feel that joyful. Carl Lehman goes on to say, joy is equally powerful when we are in painful states. We feel very keenly if there is anyone who is glad to be with us when we're hurting. When we settle into the arms of a friend who rushed to the emergency room while we waited to see whether a loved one would survive, we weep with relief rather than bounce with euphoria, but it is joy all the same. But it is joy all the same. Someone is with us, and we are not alone. He's glad to be with us even when we feel so alone and things have gone wrong. He's with us. And if you think of all the songs that we sing at Christmas, joy to the world, rejoice, rejoice, 
Emmanuel will come to thee, O Israel. Tidings of comfort and joy. This season is about the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord who is come to be with us in Jesus and who remains with us through the joyful presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes to us, Jesus comes to us for his joy and for ours. And his desire, according to John 15, 11, is that our joy would overflow, full stop. Jesus is promising overflowing joy. Now, we're not so sure about that, are we? So, Jesus, like, you can tell me that, like, that overwhelming joy is found within the secular, like, the sexual ethic as you've laid it down, but it doesn't feel all that joyful, right? Jesus, um, you, you kind of set this high moral standard and you tell me that that's where the joy is. Doesn't feel that joyful. I'm not saying there's not a cost. I'm not saying that there's not a difficulty. My first sermon of 2022, the way of sacrifice. There'll be like five people here. Crushy thing. I want to put the wise men like somewhere else in the house and move them incrementally closer until Epiphany, which I think is like the second Sunday in January. That's when we kind of like in the church year celebrate the wise men's arrival. I mean, that may sound lame, but some of you people are putting like an elf like to get your kids to behave on a shelf. So I mean, like, I'll, I'll do the wise men personally, but um, if, you, if you're bad, then the wise men won't find Jesus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but we don't do that. We just, we just set them in there. there. There they are. They're with Jesus. It's, you know, it's the picture. But the wise men, when they meet Jesus as a little boy, do you know what they do? They rejoice. It says they're filled with joy and they worship him. They fall down in front of him. Right? All the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming, it's rejoice this, rejoice that, full of joy there, full of joy there. Jesus' ministry is defined by joy. In worship, we encounter the God who is glad to be with us. And so what happens when God's presence draws near to us? What happens? Well, some of us have like a really strong emotional reaction to that. Some of us have a really strong intellectual reaction to that. We start thinking deeper thoughts and our thoughts kind of think along with God's thoughts or our affections kind of are, are stirred and more pointed toward God. Some of us have a very physical reaction to that. When Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God in Isaiah 6, he is so overcome by the presence of God, he falls to the ground. I've been thinking a lot about the falling to the ground thing. Some of you know I, I did a trip to Cuba uh, in 2019 and y'all like Cubans fall over and worship they're slain in the spirit is what the word is they're slain in the spirit like you and I take communion like at least weekly you know what I mean if not more and and uh you know Guillermo our, our, our partner down there and his wife they'll send us they'll send he sends me Facebook pictures or videos of worship from time to time and to be honest I've just stopped looking because like every picture is ultimately like the praise band and Guillermo and Adria and 50 people on the floor <laughs> You know, um, but I've really been trying to think about it. In fact, I came back and I was asking everybody, okay, I like had Ken and Marion over. I was like, I need you to explain to me how this works. Like, where is this in scripture? And, and where I have found what I would call shelf space for that phenomenon is like Isaiah falling to the ground when he meets, when he is in the presence of God or how multiple people, when they encounter Jesus, fall to the ground in front of him. In fact, go home and read the end of the gospel of John because at the end of the gospel of John, when Jesus is about to be arrested, the soldiers have come to get him. They say, hey, are you Jesus? And he just says two words. He says, I am, and everybody is knocked over. Because he said the same word that Moses heard out of the burning bush. I am who I am, right? 
David, when he encountered the presence of God, danced. He danced. Zoe was dancing down here. See, again, she has no problem with that. By the time she's 30, we'll have beat that out of her because we want her to conform, right? Now, David dances naked. So we're going to draw the line at... We're trying, to, we're trying to be more expressive in worship as a church. We're just going to draw the line at let's stay clothed. Agree? Um, there's just things about you I don't want to know. Um, there's things about me I don't want you to know. The woman, the woman who anointed Jesus' feet, th there's a couple women in the Bible that, are, that anoint Jesus' feet with oil or with perfume. One of them washes his feet with her hair, and as she does, she weeps. She's overcome by the presence of God. And there are some people in my life that, I mean, Jennifer is one of them. Like, if God's doing something, she's crying right? Do you want to know how Zach Byler, God's moving in Zach Byler's life? He cries. I never saw that dude cry, and then he met Jesus, and then every time God's doing something in his life, he cries, right? Some of us, that's just what we do. For me, one of the things that's been happening since Cuba is when I feel like God's presence is moving in a room, I feel like something in my stomach, which is weird, but I just am describing to you the phenomenon. But here's, here's above all what we do. Let's, let's take a detour away from the weird stuff for a minute. And by weird stuff, I mean totally biblical, normal stuff that we were just scared of. Um, um, when God's presence draws near, when God's presence draws near, when God's saving power is on display, here's what God's people do. They sing, period. Do you know the first time singing is recorded in the Bible? Exodus chapter 15. Do you know what happened in Exodus chapter 14? In Exodus chapter 14... Israel, God's people, had just been delivered from slavery. We just read this Bible story of Jack last night. Delivered from slavery. They're standing on the edge of the Red Sea. And behind them are Pharaoh's armies and chariots come to get them because Pharaoh's changed his mind. He says, I want to take these people on and get them back into slavery. And the people, in the words of the Bible, freak out, <laughs> you know. And this is when the Lord says, through Moses, he says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And so the presence of God moves. The east wind blows, and the sea parts, and Israel walks through on dry land. Now, the part that we don't tell, like in Sunday school, is then, like, the Egyptian chariots go down, and they're swallowed up by the sea. That's the R-rated stuff. We say that for youth group. But, but we... we, we um, and Israel is, in my mind, still smells of ocean water, they smell salty and fishy. And that's when they sing. It's the first time singing is recorded in the scripture. Worship is the soul's response to God's joyful presence. It's how we receive the God who is glad to be with us, and it's how we express our gladness at being with him. Worship is the soul's response to God's joyful presence. It's how we receive the God who's glad to be with us. It's how we express our gladness to be with God in all circumstances. Listen, some of you walked in this week not exactly doing cartwheels down the center aisle. In fact, about 80% of my Christian life has been that way. The most formative, worshipful years, while Joey and Julia were leading us, have been, have, were while I was like in infertility and miscarriage. And we sing that song, King of My Heart, you're never going to let, never going to let me down. I sang it because it's true, not because I thought it was true. Not because I felt it was true, but because it is true, right? Some of the most formative uh, experience of worship for me haven't been, I feel great, let's celebrate, have more been, I am uh, walking in here on broken knees. 
and I am falling into the embrace of Jesus, just like I would fall into the embrace of a friend who came to be with me while Steph was suddenly rushed away to the ER. Right? Now, some of us walk in, and there's reason to celebrate. Some of us walk in, and there's reason to celebrate. But in worship, it, we, it's the soul's response to God's joyful presence. It's how we receive the God who's glad to be with us. It's how we express our gladness to be with him in all circumstances. And what I want to talk for the last few minutes this morning is about expressing how we're glad to be with God. How do we do that? Um, because there's, there is an uncomfortableness and even a vulnerability to worship. It feels vulnerable. It just does. Partially because we're encountering God, like at the deepest level of who we are, but we're kind of doing it while other people are watching. And uh, I've been thinking about that Will Ferrell movie, Talladega Nights, which don't watch it, but it, it, it basically is making fun of like blue collar Southerners who like NASCAR. But, and I, I'm thinking, I'm probably going to use part of it on Christmas Eve, so get excited. But I, but there's this other scene in the movie where Will Ferrell is being interviewed because he just won a race. And while the camera's in his face, Will Ferrell's going like this. I don't, I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't, I don't, and she's asking him questions. I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know. And that's how a lot of us feel during worship. We're doing three choruses, 10 bridges, five verses over two songs. And I don't know what to do with my hands. Right? And let's be real about this. Where else, we're not a singing culture. If we were like in the global south, we were in a warm culture, we would be singing people. But we're all Europeans, we're cold-hearted, quiet people, we don't sing. We sing happy birthday off-key once a year to the people we love, maybe. We'll sing, interestingly, the national anthem very loudly. But we don't tend to like to sing in worship. We don't gather together and all face the same direction and sing at a wall very often. So what are, we, what are we supposed to do with our hands? How do we express, how do we receive God's joyful presence? How do we express our gladness to be with him? If you look at the English word worship, it's found everywhere in your Bible. If you look behind that, the Old Testament, by the way, was written in, a, in, in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek, a Greek that's not really spoken quite as much. It's not like the Greek you would hear if I took you to Greece, but those two languages were the most common languages in those times. Now, what's interesting is we've kind of just translated a whole bunch of words that the Hebrew and the Greek use for worship. We just, we just translated once, worship. But if we double-click behind there, we actually start to find that there's a lot of different words that the Bible uses to describe worship. So one of those words is kalah in the Old Testament. It's the most common word for praise. It literally means to boast, brag, or rave about God, even to the point of appearing foolish. And there I'll just kind of reference you back to Steph's sermon about like people at sports games, right? Raving, bragging to the point of foolishness, right? As far as I'm concerned, every Browns fan that I have ever met. Guys, there's a level of foolishness involved there. I love you. <laughs> but I'm just saying, okay? Um, there is hyada, which means to worship with extended hands. I ra raise your hands in the sanctuary, Psalm 134. There is barach, which is used to denote blessing. It's kind of a categorical word for blessing, but anytime it's used, it always is used in the context of kneeling. When people bless God, they kneel. Uh, there is tehillah, which means to sing or to laud. Zamar means to pluck the strings of an instrument. Tada means to shout 
or address with a loud voice. Now there's shacha and kached. Now I don't know, if you're reading a Hebrew word, if you just add some kh, you sound good. Um, so there's shacha and kached, which means to prostrate oneself before the Lord, which means to worship like this. Now we get to the New Testament, there's a handful of words that describe worship too, but the main one is called proskuneo. When you read the word worship in the New Testament, odds are, especially in the Gospels, they're probably using the word proskuneo. And do you know what it actually means? It means to kiss the hand. Because if you meet royalty, you, their hand, right? Usually, though, it, in, in the scene, it, it means to kneel or, to, or, again, to prostrate oneself. There's two other words, sebomai, which actually tends to describe worship of another god or incorrect worship of God. I think that's interesting. So there's this word they use to be like, don't do it this way. Um, there's this other one called latruo, which means to serve or minister to as an expression of devotion or loyalty. You shall love the Lord your God and la trua, worship or serve him only. So really behind the words on our page, worship includes a wide variety of behaviors and postures. And here's why. 90% of communication is nonverbal, which you know if you're married. Okay. If your wife says, I'm fine, and she looks like this. Let's have, let's have some marriage counseling. Guys, she's not fine. In fact, if any time my wife uses the word I'm fine, I start to move to about DEFCON 4 because she's not fine, right? Um, if when I went to get Jack last night and he came running to see me, no matter how glad I felt inside, if I looked like this, what does that communicate versus this, right? We have this phrase, worship, uh, communication is 90% nonverbal. Actually, this guy in the 1960s researched this. He says communication is 55% nonverbal, 38% vocal, which is why, you know, I'm fine or I'm fine is, you know, very different things. Um, and 7% words only, 55% nonverbal, 38% vocal, 7% words only. And this is what he also said. This is interesting. He said, when there is an inconsistency between the attitude communicated verbally and posturally, the postural component should dominate in deterring the total attitude inferred. In other words, if you're not sure what a person means, if you feel like they're not telling the truth, you believe their body language, not their words. If you've ever been trained in counseling, you kind of learn that, but I mean, or social work, that's kind of what you learn. Um, if you're not sure what a person means, look at their posture. So it doesn't matter what words are coming out of your mouth if your hands are in your pockets and you look bored while we worship. It just doesn't matter. At least not according to this. Right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. God knows our hearts and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da and he can see blah 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 But he's also built us so that in relationship, our bodies communicate what we're thinking and feeling, right? 
And so one of the ways that we express the ways that we are glad to be with God is we stand when we sing, or we kneel, or we sing, or, or, or we raise our hands, or we clap, or we shout in praise, or we kneel, or uh, we lay, which is usually something I tend to see more in worship nights than like in a Sunday gathering, which is fine. Worship is the soul's response to God's joyful presence. It's how we receive the God who is glad to be with us. It's how we express our gladness to be with God in all circumstances. So let me kind of leave you with three thoughts. And the first is, like, because I'm not, I'm not like trying to make you into a crazy person. I'm not. Maybe like a little. Maybe just like a little. But this Advent season, I want to ask you, what I'm asking you to do today is just this. I'm asking you to lay hold of your joy. I just want to see you lay hold of your joy. I'm asking you to reframe worship in your mind. Here's what I want you to do. As you're driving up the driveway, as you're sitting in this seat, as you wake up on Sunday morning, I want you to reframe what you're about to do. It is not, I get to see my people. It's that. It is not, I get to hear Kyle teach. It's not that. I mean, it is those things. It's, it's all of these things. I get to hear the word. But above all and in all, the most important thing is we are coming to encounter the God who is glad to be with us. We're coming to meet with the Lord. How would your experience of worship change as, if, if, as you sat down, you said to yourself, I'm not attending a meeting. I'm not doing my duty. I am here to meet a God who is glad to be with me. And I may not fully understand him. Uh, I may not have lived totally faithfully to him this week. There might be 10 different things that I feel uncomfortable about with this, but I am here to meet with the God who is so glad to be with me. He is eager to be with me. We sang that song, right? Like, he crossed eternity, right? And, and here's the other thing I want to invite you to do. I want you to take, I originally said the one uncomfortable step. You may have realized I don't care much for your comfort, but um, what I would reframe it to say as to take one vulnerable step in worship. Because it is, guys, it's super vulnerable. Um, what is the next vulnerable step? I mean, for some of you, it might be, it might be instead of like mentally tuning out during the songs, to like at least mentally wake up and notice what's happening in the room and what are the words and what do they mean and what do I think about that? For some of you, that might mean like putting your phone away, right? But I'm looking at my Bible. It might mean humming along. It might mean mumble singing along. It might mean being present to a style of worship that is not what makes your socks roll up and down. There's not a person here, maybe Julia, who knows really what kind of worship I really like. Right? What I like went out the window five years ago. And that's what Spotify's for, really, you know? Um, it might mean singing. 
off key, on key, it might mean singing. It might mean raising your hands. It might mean kneeling. It might mean clapping. It might be whatever. I just want to ask you to take the next vulnerable step as a way to express your gladness to the God who's glad to be with you. And then here's what I want you to know finally this morning. Above all, if you walked in struggling today, there's this awesome verse in the book of Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Love it. It's been, on, it's been printed on many a Hobby Lobby plaque, I'm sure. Um, but do you know the context of that? Scripture's most powerful when we're using it in the way that it intended to be used, okay? Um, probably the psalmist did not imagine those words being printed on things we'd hang on our walls, but I'm sure they're glad about it. Um, uh, but here's where that verse shows up. So it's in Nehemiah chapter 8, and it's in the context of gathered worship. They've gathered to hear scripture read and to worship God and to renew their covenant relationship with him. They are weak. They are outnumbered. They are, God's people in this moment are remarkably vulnerable. And he says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so, however it is you came today, um, God comes to be with you to increase your strength. through what we do in this gathered space. Heather's going to come lead some response time. So we're going to move into response time so that we can be forming ourselves and continue to be forming ourselves into people that hear and do the word. And so two things that stuck out to me this morning. One is the idea that part of joy is just knowing that the other person wants to be with you. And the other thing that stuck out is actually um, the image that Corey used on the video that we saw earlier of the sediment that just needs to like settle in the jar so that you can see clearly. And so I'm wondering if we can just be asking ourselves, asking the Father, what is the one practice that we can try? What is, like Kyle said, the next step that might be vulnerable for us that we can try during worship and just see if the sediment starts to settle a little bit so that in the clarity that we have, we can see that God actually wants to be with us. And it brings him joy to do that. Um, so we can think about that, ask the Father what he's inviting us to while Julia plays. good at joy 
and it's I'm just really thankful that you find joy being with us and so would you help us to find these steps to take that will just bring clarity will you help the sediment to just settle a little bit more so that we can stop with intention and just see you see that you love to be with us so it's in your son's name